give thanks with a grateful heart. This is Thanksgiving Sunday, I suppose. The Sunday before Thanksgiving. It's always such a joy to be able to celebrate our anniversary on the Sunday night before Thanksgiving. Because we are not only celebrating anniversary, we're also celebrating the great and glorious gift of God that he has given us with Grace Baptist Church. And that's always a special time, and it is a special time to be together. So uh, I hope you will be with us tonight, because we'll talk about Thanksgiving, and we'll talk about anniversary, and we'll have a great time together. Take your Bibles and turn with me once again to Romans 8, verse 28. Romans 8. Verse 28, Uh, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is giving us those five unshakable convictions that he is uh, showing us, that we've looked at, and we've been on this this particular verse for quite a few weeks, and we will be on it at least one more week, not next Sunday, it's Missions Conference, but the next Sunday we'll be back at Romans 8, 28, probably the last one before we get into 29 and 30, and uh, we probably will get into 29 and 30 on the first Sunday in January would be my guess because we'll have two weeks of, of Advent and two weeks of thinking about the coming of our Lord and leading up to, to the Christmas Eve service, which again, I hope you're marking your calendars and planning to be a part of that. That's always a special time every year as we gather on Christmas Eve to worship before going out and, and being with our families for the rest of the evening and, and also on that next day. So I hope you'll be here for that. It's, it's hard to believe that we are on the last Sunday in November. It's really hard for me to comprehend that 2019 is almost over, and very shortly we'll be talking about 2020. I remember as a kid thinking, I wonder if I'll live to see 2000. You know, that was, that was kind of what I was thinking about uh, back in those days, and, uh, and I did. And, and then I kind of thought about, well, I wonder if I'll still be around in 2020. And Lord willing, and, and something drastic doesn't happen the next month and a half, or really next month, I guess I'll see that too. I don't know what my next wonder will be. I may quit wondering at this point and just go on and enjoy it as they come one at a time. But in Romans eight twenty eight, the Apostle Paul is again laying down that great truth that we've been talking about. I just want to read it. We ought to be able to say it by heart by now. And we know that that We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. We have talked about, first of all, what does it mean to be called according to His purpose? We talked about that several weeks ago. Then then Pastor Todd talked about what what does it mean all things work together for good? What in the world does that mean? We have bad things in our life. We have difficult times in our life. We have struggles and trials and tribulations and and all sorts of things that come along. How can we say that all things work together for good? If you didn't hear his sermon, you need to go back and listen to it, Uh, because I don't have time to recount it right now or recap it. But it was a tremendous sermon. I was just talking about what does it really mean that all things work together for good from a biblical and a godly point of view. Today I want us to talk about what, what is love to God. If all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose and those who love God, what does that mean? What does love to God mean? Well, one thing we need to understand about this verse, as, as the, the great uh, Puritan writer uh, Richard, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, Thomas Watson said, uh, Watson said that, that this, this verse is definitely not talking to those who are unbelievers. 
He said, despisers and haters of God have no lot or part in this privilege. Those who despise God and His work, those who are ambivalent to God and His work, those who hate God and really cry out against Him, they have no part in this great privilege of all things working together for good because the, the best good, the greatest good, is that eternal good that will come at the very end. Watson said, this is children's bread. It belongs only to them that love God. This is the children's bread, those who have been adopted into his family, those who have been made a part of the family of God in a union and a communion and a fellowship that comes from knowing him. So, so Watson agrees with Paul here in saying that if you love God, if you're called according to his purpose, if that's your focus in life, then all things work together for good. If you don't love God, if you're not called according to his purpose, then this verse is totally lost on you and lost to you. What in the world do we think about when we think about love? I had uh, Pastor Ricky read Psalm, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 13 this morning, and we'll come back to that later. But there, we talk about that being the love passage, and a lot of times uh, we look at that and think about it in a horizontal relationship. When I'm dealing with premarital couples about marriage, I will talk about those characteristics. Love is kind. Love is good. Love is is, is doesn't keep an account of wrong suffered. It's gracious toward one another. And talk about that being a, a type of a characteristic of true and pure love. But, but Paul is not just thinking about a horizontal relationship there. He's also thinking about that vertical relationship that Paul is talking about in Romans 8, 28, of love to God and love from God. His love is pure and kind and, and gracious and everything. And when we experience that love in our life, that ought to be the expression of love that we give back first to Him and then that we receive and give out to other people. Love is an important thing. You know, some songwriters say, all you need is love. That's not true. That's really not true. Some say that love, you know, will just heal everything. Well, that's, it's a great balm for times of hurting and times of all, but, but love does not heal everything if it's just a carnal love, if it's just a, a, a human love. But love that comes from God and is returned to God is a real and genuine love. Here's how Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, talked about what love is, the nature of love. He said, love is an expansion of soul or the inflaming of the infections, affections by which a Christian breathes after God as the supreme and sovereign good. Now hear that again. I think I almost said infection. Affections. Love is an expansion of soul or the inflaming of the affections by which a Christian breathes after God as the supreme and sovereign good good. What Edward is saying there, and what Paul wants to understand out of, out of 1 Corinthians 13, is that love is something that really fills us up. Love is something that really strengthens our soul. Love from God and knowing that love in, in the personal way through His grace and experiencing that and then giving it back to Him, it, it causes our soul to just well up with joy within and well up with confidence in. We sang that Psalm 62, I'll not be shaken. That idea comes from the fact that we know the love of God, we've experienced the grace of God, and that is something that we stand firm in because we know that truth in our life. And, and it's the inflaming, the inflaming of our affections. 
We sometimes think of affections as just being merely feelings. But, but what Paul is talking about and what Edwards is talking about with the affections is it's that, that longing after God, that pursuing after God. And he says the, the Christian breathes after God. He, he pants for God, as the psalmist says, as the deer pants for the stream or the brook. The, the Christian who knows the love of God and loves God breathes after him because that's where his oxygen, his spiritual oxygen comes from. That's the very nature of love. Love is an empowering. Love is a strengthening factor in any believer's life, and it's important that we see it. And then we have to understand what is the ground of love. How can we know love? How can we find a foundation of love? Well, the the basic ground of love is what we would say to to be knowledge, knowing God, and, and knowing Him in a relationship that comes from His grace and from His gift. We can't love that which we do not know. You ever thought about that? You love your mate, your spouse, your friends, because you know them. I've never just seen somebody at a distance and said, you know, I really love that person. Now, there's a benevolent love, which that, I guess I could say I would have for all men everywhere at all times, or I should have, but I don't have a love that inflames the affections. I don't have a love that, that really causes me to think well on how much I love that person. This is something that comes from knowledge. The Apostle Paul, in talking to the Philippian Christians, he said, listen, here's my desire in life. Here's my goal in life. This is my ambition. Is I, I want to know him, Philippians 3.10. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That word know there is a compound word that literally means love upon love, knowledge upon knowledge. I want to know him in a deep and an abiding way. I want to know him in such a way that my love burns for him and burns after him and I pant after him and breathe after him for my very life. There is a knowledge that comes from being in His presence, being in His Word. There's a fullness of that knowledge. The Apostle Paul said to the Colossian Christians in 1.9, he said, For in Him, that is in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Our love for God will begin with our love for Christ. And with our understanding who Christ is, the revelation the, the manifestation of the true and the living God. And the more the Scripture says we look into His face and pursue Him and desire Him, the more we will know God and the more we will love God. Our love grows out of knowledge, and that knowledge is found, finds its fullness in Christ Jesus. There's also a freeness of that knowledge. The very end of the New Testament, the last book in the book of Revelation, John closing out that great revelation of of the end times and the glory of the being around the throne of God for all God's people. He says this in verse 17 of chapter 22. He said, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let him who desires to take of the water of life without price come. There's a freeness of that knowledge. There's an invitation to that knowledge. And we as his disciples, we as those who know him and have a knowledge of him, are to say to those around us, even those who appear to hate God and be totally ambivalent to God, we're to call them. We're to say, come. They say, well, I don't believe in that. That's all right. You need to consider 
who this one is who came to show us the fullness of Almighty God. There's a freeness to it. Come if you're thirsty. I would even say that to this knowledge there is a possession by the believer. I, I dealt several weeks ago in talking about that covenant relationship that exists between God and His people. I said that one of the greatest, most precious promises in all of the Bible, and it's in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is this. They shall be my people, and I shall be their God. I shall be their God, and they shall be my people. It's presented both ways in Old and New Testament. But, but there is that idea of possession there. Knowledge of God and knowledge of Christ leads to a possession. Now get this, this sounds almost sacrilegious. I realize, but sometimes you have to say things that are right on the edge to understand it fully. It leads to a possession of the reality of God in your life. You possess God. I will be their God. I will be their God. We possess Him in the indwelling of Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us who gives us our hope. Or as the psalmist said in Psalm 48, 14, he said that this is God, our God, forever and ever. As he extols the glories of God, he said, this is our God. There's a possession, there's a property idea there that we own him because he called us and bought us. He's a part of our life. I don't know what more you can say about that. I, I, don't, I don't know anything else you could say that would inflame the affections. That would cause us to say, God, you have been so good to us. You have, you have given us of yourself in such a glorious manner. I must love you. I must cry out to you. I must express a flaming of my affection toward you. Not just a mere feeling on a daily basis, but loving you with all my heart what we're called to do but I get ahead of myself there are all sorts of different kinds of love and they all fit in one way or another in the pattern of loving God there is a love of appreciation where we we set a high value upon God as being the most sublime and infinite good we esteem God and we praise him that we have him as a part of our life there is a love of appreciation that's what Thanksgiving is. It's not really just a holiday to gorge yourself on turkey and dressing. Although many of us will gorge ourselves on turkey and dressing. But I hope we first of all realize that the day is set apart that we might thank God. Thank God for all His blessings. Uh, uh, give appreciation to Him. In saying, Lord, I don't understand all the things I go through. I don't understand why this happened or that happened. But I do understand that even in the middle of it, you're there with me. You are protecting me. You are guiding me. You are strengthening me. Lord, I appreciate that I won't have to be shaken because of your presence in my life. Because you have given yourself to me. There's a love of appreciation. There's a love of delight. That we are to delight ourselves in the Lord. The psalmist said that. said, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will so work in your life that He gives you the desires that you need to have for what you need in this life. He changes your water, if you will. He changes your desires if you delight in Him. 
A lot of people misunderstand that. And they say, well, if you delight in the Lord, he'll give you whatever you want. And I've laughed and said, I've been praying for that Porsche for 25 years, 40 years. I haven't got it yet. But, but if you delight yourself in the Lord, delighting yourself in the Lord is loving him with a passionate love. Finding that when you spend time alone with him or spend time in here in worship, that there is a delight. I, I put the worship quote on the back of the bulletin. You probably haven't even seen it yet, but turn to the back of your bulletin. If you've got your bulletin there, this is a great quote from A.W. Tozier. Tozier said, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the Word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. So I can quote Tozier, and it sounds like he's saying it, but I can get it in your ears. And I'm not telling you that. I am telling you that. A person who says, I just don't find delight in worship. It, it's just a burden to me to go to worship. I, I, oh, I like singing the songs a little bit, and I'll sing those songs, and, and it's, kind of a, uh, it's kind of an uplifting thing for me during the week, perhaps. But, but our love to God will be a delight in Him. It will be a time where we say, Lord, as I delight in the presence of a friend, as I delight in being in the presence of my family this week, I mean, I'm I'm thrilled that on on Wednesday, all the Haynes family will be together for several days. I delight in that. I can't wait for that. But I delight to be in worship with my church family as much or more than I do that delight. Love to God is is an appreciation. Love to God is a delight. Love to God is also a, a love of benevolence. That is wishing well for the cause of Christ on this earth. Wishing well for the cause of Christ. Uh, to say, Lord, I want, I want your purpose and your cause to go forth, and, and I want to encourage that, and I want to be a part of that. So part of our love, as we'll see in a minute, part of our love is just pure obedience to what he's called us to be. It's not a neglect of our calling, which is rich and pure. Those who are called according to his purpose. That's every believer. It's not just the preacher. It's not just the Sunday school teacher. It's not just the deacon. It's it's not just those who have spiritually arrived, but all those who are called according to his purpose. And we'll see what call means in just a little, uh, in a few weeks, January 1 or so. So what is this love made up of? Well, I think the scripture is very clear that the properties of love, the the elements of love, are are manifold. There there are many. I probably can't even hit them all this morning. But one of them is our love to God must be complete. It must be entirely. It must be full. It, It must be with the whole heart, if you will. We kind of, I had the scripture out of, Matthew's gospel read this morning in our responsive reading. Mark's gospel says basically the same thing in Mark 12, 30. He says, and you, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That pretty well covers it all. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand this morning if, if you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. 
because we don't meet that we don't meet that ideal. We don't meet that which we are to be shooting for. But if I were to ask you, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but if I were to ask you to raise your hand, how many of you are really desiring to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? I would hope that every hand in this place would go up. I don't attain to it yet. I haven't reached it yet. But that's what's pressing my life. That's what's driving my life. That is the passion of my life. My love to God must be complete. Hosea, the prophet, spoke in Hosea 10 and verse 2. He said, their heart, talking about the people in worship in the, in the temple, those who gathered under the auspices of worshiping God, those who brought sacrifices, those who lived up to the letter of the law. He said to them, he said, but their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. It must be a sincere love with which you come before the Lord. Our love must be sincere. Not casual. Not flippant. Or the Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6, 24 says, Grace be with you, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Love incorruptible. Love that is not corrupted by the things of the world. Love that doesn't pull us away to love it or them more than our love to God. It's to be incorruptible. Augustine said this, he said, and this is not a good quote for a Baptist congregation, I realize, but we'll do it anyway. Augustine said, we must love Christ for himself as we love sweet wine for its taste. Augustine was many, many years ago. We must love Christ for himself as we love sweet wine for its taste. The point he's making there is, we're not to say we love Christ because of what he can do for us. We love Christ because what he has given us. We love Christ because how he leads us. No, the, the, the whole thing is, is to be sincere without guile. We love Christ for who he is, the manifestation of the glorious, sovereign God over all his creation. He came to show us grace and truth. Moses came to give us the law. Jesus came to show us grace and truth from Almighty God. Not only is it to be a sincere and entire love, it's to be a fervent love. Fervent, passionate. To, to love one coldly is not to love them at all. If you say to your spouse, I love you, and then you treat them as though they don't even exist, your words are hollow. If you say, oh, I love Christ, but your actions and your life demonstrate that you're really in love with, with the world and you're really in love with stuff, then that's a hollow expression of love. Our love to Christ must be fervent, burning, hot. It must be active. Now, they say that the most active element in our world is fire. Fire burns hot. Our love for God is, and, is to burn hot. If we're to know this great promise and this great truth, 
of this verse out of Romans 8. Paul calls it in 1 Thessalonians a labor of love. He says, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a labor of love. And we talk about that. We talk about love as though it's just some kind of passive, theoretical thing. Scripture is clear that for those who love God, it is active and it is passionate and it is, it is sincere in every respect. Love is also liberal. You won't hear me often talking about being liberal, but here I am. Love is to be liberal. That's a passage that Pastor Ricky read out of 1 Corinthians 13. The way that Paul describes that, it's a very liberal love. It's, it's, it's giving completely, always. You know, it's, it's not saying, I will love you if you will love me. And it's not saying to God, God, I will love you if you give me a life of no problems. I'll love you, God, if you will be sure and, and make my life easy. Give me a lot of wealth and give me a lot of health and give me all the stuff I really want. No, it's not that at all. That's a phony love. Love is to be liberally giving to God. And as we liberally give our love to God and we experience His love to us, we will liberally give our love to one another. A loving congregation. A loving church. Love to God is also to be peculiar. That's about the only way I know to say it. It's just to be peculiar and particular. He who's a lover of God gives him such a love as he bestows on nobody else. Even family, even spouse, even children. A love to God is to be so peculiar that, yes, we love those who are around us. We love those great gifts of God that he has given us. But we love God supremely. We seek to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength above everything else. Finally, love is permanent. True love never fades nor fails. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 13. All these other things, faith, hope, they'll pass away. One day we won't need faith because we'll walk by sight. You thought about that? I hope you have because I've said that before. You know, we won't need faith because we will see Him in His fullness so we don't have to say well now i'm going to keep believing here we're going to see it and and seeing is even better than believing we don't have to have hope we won't live in that glorious hope that we know is yet to come it's guaranteed it's promised but it's still out there we will be there so faith and hope those will cease to be needed but love never fails what Paul says. It's what God says. And the truth of the matter is, His love never fades or fails for us. And our love is never to fade or fail for Him. Our love is never to give way and just just say, I can't do this anymore. Our love may boil over, but it doesn't give over. It doesn't quit. It boils over in a fervency that Paul wants us to see here. What effect will this kind of love have on your life 
loving God above all other things, loving the people of God as your family of faith, loving the world with a love that desires to take the gospel to them and share the gospel with them, a a love that says, "I, I really love them in the love of Christ, I'm in the world, not of the world, but I want them to know the goodness of the glory of Christ, that love continues forever in the life of the believer. Can't help but think of the psalmist in, in what is probably one of my top three psalms in all the book of Psalms. You've heard me, I used it several months ago in the Lord's Supper message. But in Psalm 73, after he's expressed frustration and fear and doubt, he comes into the presence of the Lord and he says, I, I almost slipped, I almost fell. But I came into your presence, and I saw the end of the wicked, and I saw what my end was. And then he gets down there toward the end of that psalm, and he says this in verse 25. Lord, God, Father, whom have I in heaven but you? It's a real recognition there. That every believer has to come to. Lord, whom have I in heaven but but you? You're all that I want there. You're all that matters there. It's not the the blessings without end. It's not the streets of gold. It's It's not the pearly gates. It's not whatever your vision of heaven is. It's you, Lord. It's not grandmother and it's not cousin, it's not my mom or my dad or my kid, it's you, Lord. You are all I have in heaven. Those who are in heaven are praising God and worshiping God. They can't do anything for us down here. I just want you. Who have I, whom have I have, do I have in heaven but you? It's the first place you've got to come to, folks. Secondly, he says, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That's something our 21st century materialistic, secularistic world does not understand. That's what the people of God understand. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad I live in a comfortable home. I'm glad I, I, I'm glad I can pay my bills. I'm, I'm glad all that's true. But you know, Lord, in the final analysis, if I've got to go without stuff in order to have you, so be it. And if I can have everything in the world, everything I ever wanted, every dream I ever had, but you don't come with it, It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. He goes on to say, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
You see the nature of love? It's not what we talk about typically in our world today. If you've been in premarital counseling with me, and some of you in here have, you know I've shown you a picture of a swan, two swans. And the swans are all entangled. Their necks are all wrapped around. Well, I can't even do it. I'm not flexible enough. They're all wrapped around each other. And underneath it is the world's definition of love. Love is a feeling that you feel when you get a feeling that you feel you're never going to feel again. That's not love. My pastor in seminary used to say that might have been the pepperoni pizza you had the night before. That's not love. Love is what we're talking about this morning. It's love to him first back to me, and then out to you. What a glorious truth. And he knows, he searches the hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for us, the saints, according to his will. And because of that, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, according to his purpose. Whom have I in heaven but you? The psalmist anticipates the answer, nobody. No thing. No blessing. And what do I desire on earth besides you? Nothing. No thing. No person. Above you, Lord, I desire to know you, to love you, and to be loved by you. Pray with me.